Support for the Capital Connection comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities with Public Schools Unite Us initiative and United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. It's the Capital Connection. Hi, I'm David Gustina. This week, joining us is William Aiken, the president of RID, Remove Intoxicated Drivers. His organization, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and others are supporting a lowering of the blood alcohol content for drunk driving from 0.08 to 0.05. And we welcome William Aiken to the Capital Connection. Hello, David. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, RID has been around for a long time. Remove Intoxicated Drivers, it's a national organization that's based out of Schenectady. And I wonder if you might just spend a bit of time, William, telling us about how the organization got started. Okay, well, actually, we're the first national organization to fight drunk driving. It started in 1978. In December of 77, there were a brother and sister who were killed by a drunk driver. And at the time, my mother had a TV show on Channel 6 here in Schenectady, and she had those two teenagers on as guests on one of her shows. So she had a slight connection to them. And then the mother of the two killed teenagers couldn't get the district attorney to return her phone calls. So my mother called on her behalf and was told to mind her own business. And this really incensed me. Well, my mother was already incensed because if you can believe it, this drunk driver had just been involved in a crash where two people died and his license wasn't even taken. And that's the way the culture was back in 1978. So uh, she had a public meeting at our church, which 100 people, there was a small notice in the paper, and that was the birth of Red. And then about a year after that, she appeared on the Donahue Show, and then we opened chapters all across the country. And um, there was a lot more resistance at that time. The BAC level was 0.10, but she had an enormous support from the gecko because there were so many people who felt the same sense that they weren't getting justice. And her appearance on the Donahue show sort of let people know that there was a, a venue for them to seek justice or to help change the laws. In 1982, we helped put together eight bills. The key one was that you could no longer fee bargain out of alcohol. The thing was, was that, you know, you could be involved in a crash and then plead to ball tires. And the lawyers really benefited from the law. And the lawyers were also, many of them were legislators, you know, who were who would need to get their support to pass the bill. So my mother did something very bold and strategic. She got into the chamber where they were doing the vote and she put a card on each of the legislators' desk and said, if you vote against this bill, and I guess that she knew some of them were, were lawyers, she said, we will contact your constituents and say you have a conflict of interest. And that, I guess, scared them into doing the bill. And also she worked with Stanley Fink, who was the speaker at the time. 
and got him on board. So she was very effective. I think her tactics today would not go over because I had seen her bully news directors into putting her on the air, and that just wouldn't fly today. So I think she came along just at the right time, and she passing those eight bills were something that were replicated throughout the country. Yeah, her name is Doris Aiken, of course, and years and years ago we had her on See Here, which is a Channel 13 program that the former host of this show, Alan Shartog, hosted, and she was very passionate. And, you know, she was fighting for families, for mothers, for sisters and brothers and uncles and aunts and people who every year lose loved ones to drunk driving. Now, Part of all this is obvious, and you referred to it in your description of how things got going and what you were fighting for, was the blood alcohol content, right? So you said back then it was 0.10, but now it's at, what, 0.08, and you're fighting in the legislature in New York right now to get it lowered to 0.05. Yeah, the last significant reduction we've seen in DWI fatalities coincided with two things, the passing of the 21 drinking age in the lowering of of the BAC. She didn't um, get involved with this issue until she went to a conference out in San Diego where she heard uh, the the Surgeon General at the time, C. Everett Koop, talk about the importance of of driving or how you're impaired, you know, just after a few drinks, and, and she was really sold on that idea. But at the time, all the only data we had was to show how your uh, how alcohol infected your ability to drive. That was the only data we had. Now, decades later, there, there's literally hundreds of countries who have passed the law. We've studied the effects of that. We've studied the effects of of a .05 law that passed in Utah. So we we it's taken time for the science to get up to speed to where we can really make the argument cohesively. Give us a sense, statistically, though, how many people die each year, whether it's New York, the country. What did the statistics tell us? In in 2022, there were uh, 335 deaths in alcohol crashes, and that's like that represents a 30 percent increase over the past five years. I think COVID, uh, it's hard to say what role COVID uh, played in that and and, and nationally we have 10,000 deaths annually and that 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 figure has remained the same since the year 2000 and there hasn't been any substantial things what what is different about the point of 5 bill is that rather than putting on punitive measures that for once someone commits the crime that we, this is a psychological deterrent it's a proactive approach where people are thinking about their their situation they're going to be in where they may be drinking and then they may have to drive and this this gets them planning ahead you know whether it's an uber or a designated driver that is the big deterrent it's not an increase in law enforcement or arrests as the other side likes to say that that arrests would be taxed law i've spoken to the utah highway patrol uh our Colonel uh, Michael uh, Rapich, and he told me that they don't do anything differently. Other, I mean, they do the same thing, which is to look for signs of impairment. They're not looking for signs of impairment at .05. They're just doing their job the same way they do. And I think that if 
there's also a statistic that says that 22% of drivers said they changed their behavior as a result of the law of of it lower. This is in Utah. So um, I, I, I mean, it's, it's such, it's such a, an effective and I think perfect way to address this. And if we look back at history, we see when was the last time we had a significant reduction? It was when we lowered it from point, 10 to 0.08, but still at that level of impairment, you're much likely to still get into a crash. And um, I think, you know, the argument they say this is going to criminalize social drinking, what the bill does is separate drinking from driving. And the notion that we should allow people to be impaired on the road so we can sell more drinks, I think is one that the public uh, is not going to support. Yeah, and there are some other arguments that are put up against lowering the blood alcohol content level. It'll hurt the bar business. What about that? Well, I, I believe I sent you some stats on that, and it's a short um, measurement. They show in Utah what, what the alcohol sales were in the year 2017 before the law went into effect. And in Utah, it actually increased alcohol sales. And, and tourism uh, uh, with with that. So I think I think it's and it just takes you know the public to make an adjustment to their uh, behavior. And I and I and I think that when you consider that in New York State, at NHTSA estimates we would reduce DWI fatalities by 11 percent. That's 33 lives saved. You think about all the ripple effects a single drunk driving death has on the community. And that is a massive number. It's a huge payoff. And there's no other bill that uh, that offers such benefit to the community. So um, I, 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 don't, I think that there may be uh, some uh, people who who would otherwise, um, you know, have more drinks and, and then still feel comfortable to drive. But I think when you size, you know, the risk reward of it, it doesn't, it, it's in much in favor of, of reducing or saving the lives of people rather than, than, you know, uh, alcohol um, income from, from sales at bars. We're speaking with William Aiken, president of RID, Remove Intoxicated Drivers. It's a nonprofit organization that is seeking to lower the blood alcohol content level in New York to 0.05 from 0.08. One of the other issues, obviously, is law enforcement resources. And yeah, you sent me some information, but just so people understand, you have to make the arguments to the legislature about why we need to lower this. And one of the other things that comes back at you as pushback is it will overextend law enforcement resources. But that's not what you found, is it? No, that's not what was the case in Utah. And I always like to refer to Utah rather than some other countries because other countries have different public transportation systems. Utah is is the best example um, of this. And, you know, the best, the best, law is that one where you're having to crack down on people who in arresting them. The best laws are one that that get people thinking before they get behind the wheel, before they even go out to drink. And we've learned some some, some things that we but I think if the law were to pass it would copy. It wouldn't take effect right away. I think 
we're, we're all advocating that we wait a year for the law to take place so that there could be plenty of time to raise people's awareness and to get them to sort of have an adjustment even before the law goes into effect. But that's what is driving the success in this, is not the, the, an abundance of law enforcement. It's the people themselves policing themselves and thinking, well, wait a minute, they're taking this drunk driving seriously now. The rules have changed. I better, you know, adapt. Who are your major sponsors of the bills and the legislature? And on the Senate side, we have Senator John Liu of Queens. He's the, the Senate sponsor. And on the Assembly side, it's Joanne Simon. They're, uh, she's from Brooklyn, and, and Lou is from Queens. We have, um, I believe, 18 co-sponsors on the Assembly side, two of which are Republicans. And then there are uh, four other um, co-sponsors on, on the Senate side. What I'm really encouraged by is Senator Liu's aggressiveness and in sense of urgency that he's operating with. We, there was a um, press conference in February at the Capitol, and he worked with the speakers, of, you know, some of the speakers were survivors of drunk driver. And their message, I noticed a, a, a complete contrast from where p- victims would talk about their loss to this to now where they're talking about this sense of urgency, you know, and saying that this not, not doing nothing is costing lives. And, mm. and they're all uh, unified in this sense. And another uh, big thing that we have going for is Matt is on board with this. And that they're sort of like the standard bearer for mothers, for mothers against drunk driving you're talking about. Yeah. Yes. There wasn't a bill to lower the BAC in New York State till 2013. And I think right about then they were sort of changing their position to supporting it. And the alcohol industry, when MAD wasn't on board with it, would use that against us, saying we were a fringe group who's trying to pass this radical law. MAD doesn't support it, so therefore it must not be, it must be a bad idea. So we're grateful to have MAD on board, and we think their messaging is spot on with focusing on the sense of urgency and how doing nothing, you know, will continue to cost lives. There's so many different directions I want to go in, but let's start with this age, the age of folks who end up in drunk driving accidents. Now, we've always been told that a terrible combination is young people, new drivers and alcohol. And that's often cited as the primary people who end up in drunk driving accidents. But things have changed in the society. You already referenced Uber. And I know a lot of young people today are delaying getting driver's licenses because the options for, as you said, transportation are much easier now. They go to their phone, they get an Uber, they go wherever they want, and they don't have to worry about drinking and driving. What do we know about age and drunk driving? Has there been any statistics, any numbers to show that perhaps because of things like Uber, that it's less likely that a young person would drink and drive? Well, I could only point to Utah as having that, um, you know, the, that that data. Um, age ha- hasn't been a factor for the studies that I've seen or from the evaluation that NHTSA did. NHTSA did an evaluation from 2018 to 2022 uh, of, um, so, so the, the um, availability of Uber and Lyft are certainly factors, 
but I haven't seen any studies that have broken that down into age. But it, it would make sense that people are, you know, the, the younger generation is much more acclimated toward using technology. So that would, on, on the surface, make sense to me. I also heard, speaking of technology, there was a hearing on this, and uh, Assemblywoman Pat Fahey mentioned that there are even apps out there now that can help you determine how many drinks based on your body weight can actually let you know beforehand what the safe level is for you to drink. There's a group that's dedicated to this issue, and the, the group is Porno5 Saves Lives. Their website is porno5saveslives.org. If you go to that website, you'll see the most comprehensive information on that. But as far as the apps, we think that is more appropriate to introduce once the law has passed because you can't use it as a defense. It's not anything that's going to hold up in court, and it may you know, present people with a false sense of security that because it's not the app, it isn't admissible in court, then we, we feel that the app would be a useful tool once the law has gone into effect. It certainly would be useful in this, and I think it would help bridge the transition from 0.08 to 0.05. You're hearing William Aiken, president of RID, remove intoxicated drivers. They're seeking to lower the blood alcohol content level in order to drive to 0.05 from 0.08. Now, you know, you mentioned, I believe I heard this, William, that some of the deaths have risen in terms of drunk driving, and you weren't sure whether that was part of the pandemic or or what could account for it. And I'm wondering, I mean, there is something going on in New York and in other states, which is the legalization of cannabis. And we don't have adequate testing for impairment when it comes to law enforcement and cannabis. And we even see people microdosing these days. So I'm wondering if the added legalization of cannabis, for example, might have added to the impact of people being impaired and involved in crashes. Yeah, well, I think that one factor of that is that people weren't driving. I mean, if you, you may recall that during the middle of the pandemic or the shutdowns, there was very little traffic on the road. So right. now that's, that could be a factor. But one thing that we also stress is that a 0.05 lowering the BAC will have a broad deterrent on alcohol as well as marijuana because people are getting the message that this is something they have to pay attention to. There's also been, not to the degree that alcohol has shown, but a reduction in impaired driving in Utah. So I think that we do try to emphasize that point that a, a lower BAC is going to have benefits not just for DWI crashes, but for crashes that involve impairment of marijuana and other drugs. I want to get a bit philosophical for a moment, William Aiken. It's a cultural issue as well, and different cultures deal with alcohol differently. In this culture, it's a no-no. You know, your parents say, you're not supposed to drink, you can't drink until you're... But the country supports alcohol, and so your parents are often saying to you, don't do what I do, just do what I say. And it creates a taboo. And the one thing that we know teenagers like to do is to do adult things and break the taboos. And when I was over in Denmark for my master's fellowship, I was speaking with the family I was living with, and she approached me and asked me, how come so many young people die from drunk driving in the United States? And she said in their culture, alcohol isn't a taboo. They're open about it, and they are willing to allow their children to have it as part of their lives, not in any great amounts, but so that they don't see it as something 
they must have because they were kept from it. You understand what I'm saying? Right. Well, I, I have a question, though. I mean, I, I would imagine that the BAC at that country is way below 0.08. I mean, I think that while there's an acceptance of alcohol and it's not taboo, there is a separation where they make a distinction between drinking and driving. Absolutely. But my point is on the parental level. And the children of this family said, we don't have a problem calling our mother to pick us up. You see what I mean? The disconnect in this country is kids will get in trouble if they tell their parents they're drinking. So then they don't tell them that and they end up driving drunk because they're worried about getting in trouble. Oh, I would agree with that, but I don't know. I can't think of any study that would prove that one way or the other. My inclination is would be that the uh, taboo factor would be a problem, but I haven't really seen any studies that to examine that. What's your sense that this legislation has a real opportunity to pass this time? I've never been more optimistic, and I think I have to give credit to Yandis Rodriguez, the uh, Transportation Commissioner for New York City. He, along with Senator Liu, have been very active in promoting the legislation. It gets a lot of press coverage down in New York City. You don't hear too much about it up in this area. But I think the hearing went very well. The consensus was we need more of these hearings, get more people on the record. And I think the media plays a huge role in this because I I would argue that most people aren't even aware of this bill. And the objections to it are all based on emotion. And I haven't seen any studies that support the thesis that they put out there that it's going to tax law enforcement resources or criminalize social drinking. So I'm, I'm very optimistic. I know that on the assembly side, I spoke with the legislative manager for the sponsor of the bill, and she said the attorneys at that meeting said that we already have impairment bills. And that's why we don't need to pass this one. And my reaction to that is we just had over 300 deaths. We've had it's increasing. It's failed. And, and that's not acceptable. And just to the point to say that we have a law on the books, well, that law on the books isn't working. It's not doing what it's intended to do. So we need advocates who are going to take on the resistance from the status quo that's kept the the law the same all these years. So the reason for my optimism is that I feel that the leadership in these roles knows how to fight the fight. And that's why I'm I'm very optimistic for for something, if not to pass this year, at least certainly to move forward to get closer to the governor's desk. Speaking of, have you had any communication with the governor's office? Have you heard anything from the speaker Um, of the assembly or the the head of the Senate? No. With the two bodies, I tend to leave that to the sponsors of the bill just so we don't muddle our communication. But I will say that for those of you who don't approve of Governor Andrew Cuomo's governance, he had a very efficient and detailed system for when you called in with a concern They gave you a reference number. They typed up the notes of your call so that the next time you call, someone could access this. Now, I haven't seen anything like that with Governor Hochul. And at first, I thought, well, it's going to take her time to get acclimated to the position to get everything in order. 
But over time, I'm not happy with the interface that Governor Hochul's administration offers anyone. I mean, it's not just me, but I think anyone. It seems that, you know, you could have make a phone call and then three weeks later make another phone call. And those two phone calls could not cross-reference each other. So I'm going to have to support you on that, William, because I've spoken to the governor as she's been governor. I've spoken to her when she was lieutenant governor. And for some reason, I can't get through her people to get her back on the program. I'm not getting a coordinated effort. I'm not getting callbacks. I'm not getting email responses. So to your point, it's not looking good from that aspect. No, I mean, in this kind of legislation, all it takes is one tragedy to wake someone up or to inspire someone to open their eyes. Well, let me pick up on that because we're running out of time here, and I want to go to this last place, which is, you you said, there has to be this awareness campaign, right? If the bill gets signed into law, there will have to be an awareness campaign. But what about the awareness campaigns that normally go on? Are we still doing the movie? You know, I remember being in, I don't know, high school, I guess. Maybe it was lower. And, you know, they took us to the state police barracks, and they showed us this horrific movie of people killed in driving accidents. Do they still do this kind of awareness in public schools? There's a state trooper who I know is very active with that and has a very successful program. It's probably modeled after the same thing you saw. So I know that that is still active for young people. But I think it would really help us if we had a 30-second commercial where you could just list bullet points of the change in the law And also not just what the change in the law is, but what we can expect from the law, which because NHTSA does a very detailed analysis, and I would say they've been pretty accurate with their predictions over the years. So I think that would be a big component, and probably the smartest thing we could do is wait a year for the law before it's implemented. So you have all that full year where the media will do stories on it. You know, they could interview survivors of drunk driving. It's hard to get on TV to talk about this issue now. If the law were passed, I think there would be a flood of stories that the media would want to do that would help with that campaign. William, I can't thank you enough for coming on the Capital Connection this week. Tell our listeners how they can get in touch if they want to reach you or find out more. You can email me at ridusa at verizon.net. You can go to our website, which is www.rid-usa.org. We also have a Facebook account for removing intoxicated drivers where you can join us and be part of our group chats. William Aiken, president of Remove Intoxicated Drivers, thank you again for joining us. Well, thank you so much. I think that many people listening to this are hearing a lot of this stuff for the first time. So kudos to you for putting a spotlight on it. The Capital Connection is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. You can listen to The Capital Connection anytime at wamcpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcast. And join us again next week at this same time for another political conversation. For The Capital Connection, I'm David Gustina. Support for The Capital Connection comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities through the Public Schools Unite Us initiative.